Why don't you turn with me in your Bible to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, that's what we're going to read from in just a moment. One of my girls, our girls, Anne and I, are both girls, Abby and Danielle, loved the movie growing up. They loved the movie The Lion King. It was one of their favorites. We must have watched it a hundred times on video after it came out. We saw it in theaters, saw it on video. We saw the um, off-Broadway production when it came down here to uh, Richmond. Loved the 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 movie, the emphasis there, and of course we've seen the new movie that came out, The Lion King, which was the non-animated version. But uh, we we watched that time after time um, when the kids were little growing up. We watched it on video. There's one point in the movie where Simba, the little lion cub, if you don't know the story, Simba, the little lion cub, he has fled from Pride Rock where his family is because his father, Mufasa, has been killed, and he blames himself for that, and he thinks that he's at fault for his father's death, and he's fled, and he's fled across the wilderness. And at the point in the movie, he comes across the meerkat, Timon, and the warthog, Pumbaa. They notice that he's kind of down, and they're trying to cheer him up a little bit, and they're trying to lift his spirits, and uh, they say, what's wrong? You say, I've messed up, and he talks about how he really messed up, and then Pumbaa gives this wonderful advice to him, and he says, there comes a point where you've got to put your behind in your past. Now, for years, I always misquoted that, and I said, there comes a point where you got to put your past into your behind. Well, either way, it's both kind of applicable. That's one of those things that we often try to do. We try to put our past in our behind or our behind in our past, and we try to move on from things that have happened in our life. We even suggest to each other that, that there's this point in time where you just got to move on, where you got to forget the past and you got to look forward to the future. In a sense, there is a biblical call and a mandate from that because the Apostle Paul says that very thing in writing to the church in Colossae. He says, forgetting what lies behind and straining for what lies ahead, I press forward to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I mean, that is a biblical call, a biblical mandate, but I have a question for you. What if God doesn't want you to forget your past? Does God really want you to forget your past? Does he want you to forget the mistakes the failures, the sin. You see, I would say that that verse where the Holy Spirit speaking through the Apostle Paul to the church in Colossae, he is emphasizing to the church in Colossae, we can't allow our past to cripple us. And in that sense, we need to forget, we need to move beyond what's happened in our past and strain forward to what lies ahead because after all, the past is in the past. We can't undo that, but I don't think that he's necessarily telling us to pretend that it never existed, pretend that it never happened. In fact, I think that you can look in Scripture and you can make a pretty sound argument, which I'm going to make today, that there is this process by which God desires to take your past, 
and shape your future. He wants to take what has been in your past and use it to mold you for his service in the future. And that's what we're going to look at today from 1 Timothy, and we're going to look in 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to read starting at verse 12 all the way down through verse 20. Now, we're in this series. We started in this series last week talking about Christian leadership. It's just a three-week-long series, and it's not something that I've just kind of dropped in here as a filler. Uh, This is really something that, that we want to focus on, that I've wanted to focus on for some time, just reminding ourselves, reminding each other that there is this call of God for us to step forward as leaders. Now, that position of leadership may not necessarily be somebody who is readily visible. It may be somebody who's behind the scenes, but out of their respect and understanding of God's call on their life, they are serving, they are putting forth their talents and their gifts, and they're ministering in Jesus' name. Now, last week, we started this series, and we're going to finish this series next week. Today, we're going to focus on using your past to shape your future. Next Sunday, we're going to focus on a specific position within the church that applies to and is part of this ministry that we do here, our deacon ministry. We're going to ordain two of our deacons next Sunday. We're going to do that specifically at the beginning of the 11 o'clock service. We don't do it in both services. We want to do one one ordination time. Uh, I I know you may think, well, that kind of slights the 830 service, but it gives you the opportunity, come to worship, go to your Sunday school class, and then in the first few minutes of the second service, we do the ordination part, and you can come be a part of that ordination. You will have already heard the message. Feel free to slip out after that, but we're going to do the ordination at the beginning of the 11 o'clock service, and then we're going to focus on deacon ministry, why it's critically important in the life of the church, so that'll be next Sunday. Now, let me remind you, this is just kind of a precursor for what's coming. We've been talking for a little while about this sermon series that we're doing in the fall. We've titled the sermon series, actually, as uh, we've talked a little bit about this, Stafford and I have discussed this. He's doing the small group studies associated with this. He's writing those, and and I'm working on the messages for this. We're going to head into our next series called Crossroads, and I want to lay this out there in front of you, keep reminding you about that. Our next series following this leadership series is entitled Crossroads, following a biblical path through today's difficult issues. We're going to tackle head-on some of those issues that are out there in our culture, those things that we shy away from talking about a little bit because we've got to have a biblical foundation to talk about these issues that are out there in our culture and society. And as we look at a biblical foundation for those, some of them may reshape and reform part of our understanding on those issues as well, whether it is dealing with sexuality, whether it's dealing with aliens and a migrant crisis, regardless of what it is, as we look at a biblical model for that, we we want to ground ourselves in what the Bible has to say, what God has to say on this particular topic. So that's what we're going to do with that series. It's going to be an eight-week series, and we're going to have small groups attached to that. We thought we may have the sign-ups for those small groups out today, but we're not going to. We're going to put them out next week as we're finalizing some of the small groups, and that'll give you two weeks to sign up if you'd like to be a part of the small groups that follow up on the Sunday messages. So that's coming up next Sunday. But today, we're going to talk about using your past to shape your future as we talk about your role and God's call on your life to lead. We're going to read from 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting at verse 12 and see how God wants to use our past to shape our future. It says in verse 12, And I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has 
enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy, that in me, first, Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. And now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever, this charge I now commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered a spiritual shipwreck of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan that they may not learn to blaspheme. We want to talk today about how God wants to use your, your past to shape your future. He doesn't just want us to put our behind in our past. He wants us to be able to take what has happened in our past and to see how it can mold and shape our future. Now, there are a couple of things out of this passage that we've got to understand if he's going to be able to take our past and use it to shape our future. A few things that we've got to understand. Looking down in verse 13, to begin with, we've got to keep in mind, we must understand, we must keep this perspective forefront for all of us. Jesus knew you, he knew me, he knew all of us or knows us at our worst. He knew every single thing about you. He even knew it before he created you. That's what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, before the foundation of the world, God knew. God knew what? God knew everything. He knew it all. Before the foundation of the world, God knew who you would be. He knew what you would do. He knew all the things that you would do wrong. He knew all the things that I would do wrong. God knew me at my worst. He knows me at my worst because my worst might be right now. Jesus knew us at our worst. Paul says this about himself. You knew that I was an insolent man. You knew that I was a blasphemer, verse 13, that I was a persecutor, not a prosecutor, of the law. He was a persecutor. He had Christians dragged out of their home, thrown into prison. We know that he stood by and he watched the cloaks of those who were taking rocks and beating Stephen to death. He was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man. And yet Jesus knew him. He knew him at his worst. It says back in verse 12, he enabled me, he counted me faithful. Counted him faithful how? He was not faithful. He did not walk with the Lord. He had no trust in the Lord whatsoever. He didn't know Jesus Christ. 
Jesus knew us at our worst. If we're going to allow God to take our past, or even our present, if we're going to allow God to take our past and use it to shape our future into his design, into his plan, we've got to accept the fact that Jesus knew us at our worst. Let's just get over ourselves. Let's stop pretending with each other that we are all perfect, that we have never done anything wrong. Let's get over that. In fact, why don't you turn to your neighbor right now and say, you might not know this, but I've messed up occasionally. It's okay, you can say it. You can admit it, really. You can own that. You might not know this, but I've messed up occasionally. You know, for me, it's, it's really comforting. It's really comforting. You know, we've been married, Ann and I've been married for uh, 31 years now. And it's really comforting, no matter what I'm doing, no matter what. I could be doing the dirtiest, grossest, nastiest job around the house. I could be rooting around in the dirt. I could be digging sewer lines up. I, I could be doing the, oh, the grossest thing and get all sweaty and nasty and smelly. And I know that if I were to walk up to my wife, with my arms extended for a hug, that my wife would reach out her arms and say, whoa, buddy, you need a shower first. You know, no, no matter how gross and smelly I get, she's not going to reject me. She may want me to shower a little bit, but she's not going to reject me. I mean, she's seen me at my physical worst, she's seen me at my emotional worst, she's seen me at my spiritual worst. And even though not everybody's marriage is able to weather some of those difficult points and places in their life, if we are able to do this as human beings, if we are able to do this as people, you and I together, and we're able to weather through, walk through some of those difficult times in life, how much more should we expect that God will be able to walk through and to weather some of those difficult times, some of those awful, nasty, ugly, dirty things that we've done in our life? God knew me at my worst. If I'm ever going to get to the place where God can use my past to shape my future, I've got to accept this fact. God already knows. Jesus knew, and he knows, and he will know whatever it is I'm doing. Whatever mistake I've made, Jesus knew me at my worst. Secondly, we've got to grasp this, that Jesus showed mercy because of our unbelief, because of our ignorance. Jesus showed us mercy. Verse 13 says, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Verse 14, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. Now, you've heard me say before that there's a difference between these two words, grace and mercy. There is a distinct difference. Grace is where I get what I don't deserve. I don't deserve to have dessert after supper because I didn't eat all of my vegetables on my plate, but grace... My parents showed me grace and allowed me to have dessert anyway. I get what I don't deserve. Now, mercy is different. Mercy is where I don't get what I do deserve. I don't get what I do deserve. I deserve a spanking for that. I deserve a reprimand for that. But I don't get it. That's mercy. This word that's used here in verse 13, I obtain mercy because I did it 
ignorantly. In other words, Paul says, I didn't get what I deserved. I didn't get what I deserved from the Lord. I was a proud, I was an insolent man, I was a persecutor, I was a blasphemer, but I obtained mercy. I didn't get what I deserved because I was ignorant. And he showed me mercy because of that. You know, as a young person, many of us did lots of dumb things. I certainly did my share, which I'm not going to share with you right now. Many things I did in ignorance. Many things that you have done in your life have been done in ignorance. And in the world around us, there are plenty of people who do vile things, terrible things, horrible things. But quite often they do it out of ignorance. And just as God showed me mercy because of my unbelief, because of what I've done in my ignorance, God wants to show them mercy with what they've done in their ignorance and in their unbelief. Now, it does kind of lend to this question, what about those who do believe? What about those who do say that they've come to faith? What about those who have trusted Christ? Well, it kind of reminds me of the two judges who were caught speeding. Separate occasions, two judges were caught speeding, both of them well over the speed limit at that plate point where here in the state of Virginia, you know, it reaches that point 80 miles an hour. It's reckless driving. They were well beyond anything like that. Both of them had been driving, and they both faced court dates. What was unusual was that each of the judges were judges in traffic court. And so one judge was going to have to appear before the other judge, and that judge was going to have to in turn appear before the next one. And so they found this out, and they talked it over, and they decided that they would both show leniency to each other. And so the first judge showed up in the one judge's traffic court, and he stood before the judge, and he pleaded that he had a broken speedometer, and because of that, he ought to be shown mercy, and he would get things fixed as quickly as he could. And the judge sitting behind the bench looked at him and said, well, your honor, because you showed remorse for this, I'm going to let this go with just a warning and we're going to expunge it from your record. The next day, that judge had to appear um, before the other judge that he just pardoned. As he walked into court, he stood before the judge and he said, you know, I was speeding, I know, but I kind of lost track of time. I had an emergency situation, had to get where I was going. And the judge sitting behind the bench looked down at him and he said, I'm sorry, we've got too much of this going on today. You're a judge, you ought to know better. You shouldn't be speeding that fast. Put him in jail for 60 days and make him pay a $10,000 fine. You know, there comes this point in time where we ought to know better. Now, some things we do in our life, some mistakes we make are because of ignorance and unbelief. Even as a believer, there are times that we act out of ignorance and unbelief. And yes, God forgives. Absolutely, he forgives. Jesus wants to show mercy. But keep in mind, there's also an expectation that at some point, I'm expected to start showing that I belong to Christ and that I know better. What is it we've got to understand in order for God to take our past and to shape our future? We've got to understand, first of all, that Jesus knew us at our worst, that Jesus showed mercy because of our unbelief, and that this has always been his purpose. Verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that 
Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. Jesus' purpose has always been to save us from unbelief. If I were to ask you, what's the purpose of a firefighter? What's the purpose of a firefighter? What are they supposed to do? We kind of expect them to fight fires. If they're not going to fight fires, they're not much of a firefighter. What's the purpose of a police officer? We expect them to keep the peace. We expect them to be an officer of the law, to uphold the law. If they're not going to uphold the law, they're not much use as a police officer. What's the purpose of a doctor? Well, the purpose of a doctor is to help you feel better, help you to get well, to save lives. If they're not going to aim to save lives, why be a doctor? What's the purpose of a lifeguard? Well, a lifeguard is there at the beach not to look at all the teen girls walking by. The lifeguard is there to watch and see and make sure that people aren't out in the water drowning and being carried out by rip currents. The lifeguard is there to guard. That's their purpose. Now, here's what Jesus said about his purpose. My purpose is this. I came to save. I came to pull people from the depths of hell. I came to spare them, to show mercy to them, so that they might experience, yes, grace, that they get something that they don't deserve, heaven, eternity with God, but also to show them mercy so they don't get what they do deserve, death and hell and a separation for God, from God forever. That's my purpose. Jesus explains that's why he came. I came to save, to seek and save that which was lost. Did Jesus worship? Yes, Was that his purpose? No, that's not why he came. Did Jesus disciple? Yes. Was that his purpose? Was that why he came? No. Did Jesus give tithe? Yes. He even told Peter, we got to pay our tithe. Go down to the shore, catch fish, open its mouth, pull out that Amount that's in there, go pay the temple tax. Take care of our responsibility. Did he do that? Yes. Was that his purpose? No. What was his purpose? His purpose was to save. His purpose was to pull people back from the despair. Because of all people throughout all eternity, throughout all time, Jesus understands better than anybody else the consequence of unbelief. What comes if people don't believe? A separation from God forever and eternal punishment. Jesus' purpose has always been to save us from unbelief. Now, we've got to understand all these things if God's going to take our past and shape our future. We've got to know that Jesus knew us at our worst, and he showed us mercy because of our unbelief. And that was his purpose. That was his purpose from the beginning of time, to save us from unbelief. Now, Once he has saved us, 
Jesus has a ministry for each of us, every single person. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 says, The manifestation of the Holy Spirit is given to each one, each believer. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each one, every believer, as each one has received a gift, minister it in Christ. The body of Christ is used as this description, as this metaphor, this analogy of how all this works. Fingers, hands, knees, toes, all of it knit together in one body, every part of the body separate in the sense that they have different functions, but together in the sense that the body has been tied together. And Paul says, I've been pulled into this. I've been drawn into this. The Lord knew what my task would be. He knew when he called me. He enabled me verse 12, he says, I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful and he put me into the ministry. Now, Paul's ministry might be different than your ministry. Paul was an evangelist. He was a missionary. He was an itinerant preacher. He traveled around the known world. That may not be your calling. That may not be the ministry that the Lord calls you to. That's what he called Paul to. But he may call you to a different ministry. Maybe it could be someone who preaches, somebody who's a pastor. Maybe it is as a missionary serving somewhere here in North America or beyond. Maybe it's that he's called you to be a Sunday school teacher and to be the best Sunday school teacher you can be. To be a deacon and to be the best deacon, the servant of those in ministry, in the church, meeting needs in the church. To be the best deacon that you can be. Maybe it's to work with children. Maybe it's to work with teenagers. Maybe it's to work in discipleship. Regardless of what it is, whether it's out front or behind the scenes, the Lord has called you. He's called me. He's called every single one of us. Once I am saved, once you are saved in Christ, every single one of us has a responsibility. In that sense, when we talk about Christian leadership, when we talk about those who are leading, those who are using their gifts and talents to minister in Jesus' name, we are really talking about every single believer. Every person who has come to faith in Christ has a responsibility and a call and a place that they will lead from. Everyone. Now, I've been at this long enough. You know, I've had a few years doing this. I know that there are some people who just think that God can't use them. God can't use me. There's nothing special about me. Well, let me just say that from a biblical perspective, if there is nothing special about you, you are the perfect candidate for God to use. Because then when he uses you, the glory won't go to you. It'll go to him. Some people think that God can't use me because of what I've done, because of the mistakes that I've made, because of the failures that I've had, because of where I've been in life. To make that statement misunderstands and misrepresents all that God has shared through Scripture. Scripture is an, a, a, a running account of how God takes people who have messed up and reshapes their future using their past. 
people like Noah, people like Joseph, people like Moses, like David, David, like Gideon, like Peter, like Paul. It's scattered with all kinds of examples of people who in their past made mistakes. Some before they were believers, some as believers, and yet God was able to take them and use them to shape their future and the future of the church. Once we're saved, Jesus has a ministry for each of us, and please let's just get beyond this excuse that God can't use me because I've messed up. In fact, I would say that quite often God wants to use you because you have messed up. Verse 16 says, however, what's the however there for? Paul says, I was the chief of sinners. Christ came in the world to save me. However, even though I was chief of sinners, for this reason, I obtained mercy. That in me first, Jesus Christ might show his long-suffering, his patience, as a pattern for those who have yet to believe on him for eternal life. This is the pattern that God takes broken people like you and like me, people who have messed up, people who have failed, people who are sinful, and he fixes what's broken, and he expects us to take our healed past into the future. Jesus wants to use you with your past to save others. You know, I was writing um, before the service started, and just as I, I was writing a few notes about this one last thing. Jesus wants to use you with your past to save others. I was trying to think of some things that were special and unique about maybe my situation, about our situation, because when I say my, I'm really talking about Ann and I. We've been in ministry together for 31 years. And my mind was drawn to a couple of things. Um, Not all of them were mistakes, but they were just things that we've been through. And the very first thing that my mind was drawn to was um, when... She had a miscarriage with our third child. We had two girls and already, and um, when Ann got pregnant the third time, it was unplanned. We hadn't planned for it, and um, I, I had a hard time with it. I, I wasn't ready for that. We thought that we were done. She was pregnant the third time. Finally, when I got to this place where I was okay with it, um, that's when she went to the doctor uh, for a regular checkup, and the doctor said he couldn't find, or she couldn't find a heartbeat, and um, baby had died. And I was, I was so mad, so angry, so angry at God. Why would you give us a child and then take the child away? I was mad. Um, and, and I still don't understand fully why he did that. But looking back now, I can see how he's used that. Because there have been plenty of people that we've been able to walk through that difficult time with who have lost an unborn child. And we even had to do that with our own daughter. 
as uh, our first grandbaby. Never got to see the light of day. Thought back to um, how we've, we've had a, an issue in our family. We've, we've had a struggle with depression. We've, we've had to walk through some really dark times, some difficult moments in our past, in our family with that. And I don't know why we've had to walk through that. It's one of those things that we've just had to deal with. But I also can look back now and even now in this moment and see how God is using that path that we've walked through to help so many others through that difficult time. Those weren't mistakes that happened in my past. But I can point to some mistakes too sins that he's used from my past to help shape my future. Um, I've shared with you before in college that uh, I, I, was, I was basically an alcoholic in college. Uh, when I left home, went off to college, the, the shackles had been freed of the little church kid. And uh, I had a problem with alcohol in college and even began to have a problem with drugs in college. And I'm not proud of it. I'm ashamed of it, but I am forgiven of it. God doesn't want me to forget my past. He wants to forgive my past. And for me to remember what he has taken me from, He wants me to remember what he's forgiven, what he's healed. And for me to be able to take what he's forgiven, what he's healed, and use that in sharing with those who have lost an unborn child, with those who have been through drug and alcohol treatment, with those who have dealt with depression and the desire to just end everything because they don't feel like it's something worth going on with. He doesn't want me to forget where I've come from. He wants me to realize where he has taken me from and from there be able to use it as a conversation with those who are dealing with the same things, the same issues, because many of those things are here present today. They're not 30-year-old issues. They are today's issues, and they will be the next decade's issues. They will always be there as this constant thing because we live in a fallen world, and there are people who lose unborn children. There are people who deal with cancer. There are people who have had marital infidelity and had their relationship restored. There are people who've been through depression. There are people who have been through awful, terrible financial circumstances. God doesn't want me to forget my past. He wants to take my past and heal it and forgive it and use it to minister in his name. It's time for us here in the church to stop pretending that everything is all good, that it's perfect, that I've never failed, and to remember who I was, but who I am in Christ. 
And that which he has done in me, he desires to do in them. And who better to share with them than someone who has been through the same? Someone whom God has taken and transformed by the power and blood of Jesus Christ. He has a place for you. He has a ministry for each one of us, every single one. We can't allow our past to cripple us. He knew me. He knew everything about me. He knows everything about me. And he showed me mercy. And now it's time for me to take this healed life, healed by the power of Christ, and minister it to those who need that same grace and forgiveness and mercy that Jesus has shown me. Let's pray. Lord, today, I pray that you would help us see that we are all leaders. We are all called to be spiritual leaders leading those who don't believe, those who don't have a relationship with you, leading them to hear your message, leading them to find you. And Lord, part of that process is taking our past and transforming it into a tool that you desire to use to shape not only our future, but someone else's too. So, Lord, this day, I pray that you would help us to see where you've brought us from and how you desire to use our past to minister to others in our future. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Stay home.